If you enjoy and would love to support this podcast, please check us out on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com forward slash aaopera. Hello, 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 and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast, episode 61, and the season finale of season four. Ashley, well done. Round we of made it. We made it. Round of applause. Pat on the back to each other. Amazing. Um, welcome, everyone. Second full season in lockdown. Uh, I know. Wow. I know. Well, more than one season, right? We've done like two seasons now. Season two was partially in lockdown, but two full seasons in lockdown. Here is hoping that at least the majority of season five is in person and live. We've got yes. my fingers crossed. Oh, fingers crossed. But, Ashley, before we get into this week's episode, because we have a phenomenal guest for you this oh, week, yeah. but how has your week been? It's been good, yeah. Um, as I was saying, like, nothing much different going on, you know, it's the same cycle. Um, but we have got a cheeky little um, break coming up at the start of April. Um, so that's keeping me keeping me going, and I'm looking forward to... Lying in bed until like 10 o'clock <laughs> during the week, and to be honest, just catching up on some sleep, I think, um, and hopefully enjoying some sunshine, and hopefully meeting friends outdoors, and hopefully going out beyond Royal Victoria Dock. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> um, nothing, nothing much going on, but I'm very much looking forward to um, a wee break, shall we say? A wee break. <laughs> Um, but anyway, Abby, how's your week been? My week's been good. I actually um, went back to my Audible and have gotten the book reading back into a flow. And I read, well, I listened to The Midnight Library, which I, like, it's all over Instagram all the time. I feel like everyone's always talking about it. I've seen it, like, come up on a lot of bookstagrams. <laughs> but I've, like, listened to it within a day. Really? It was like, yeah, it was one of those ones that like just entraps you, like you, like you just to get enveloped in the story. And it was Carrie Mulligan also reading it out, so I was very excited. I was just gonna and, ask who was re- who was reading it out because always that's always good. <laughs> yeah, Carrie Mulligan is really great. Um, and then Matt, my partner, uh, decided we started watching. Sh- uh, we rewatched season one of Staged because he hadn't seen it and I had. Right. And then we watched season two, series two of Staged. Now, for those of you who don't know what Staged is, it's Mar- uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant, and they're, like, trying to rehearse a play at the beginning of lockdown over Zoom. And then the season two is, like, just so great because it's, like, the breakdown of how they made season series one happen. And it's just really funny because it's exactly what every single theater person or actor or singer is like (laughs) (laughs) well it's a bit like this with this podcast isn't it you know that that feeling of doing it all over zoom and yeah but we're at i think the country's at the point now where we just laugh at the thought of zoom like yeah (laughs) it's just such a joke (laughs) but yeah i know that that has brightened um my week and uh the we're recording this podcast now in my bedroom because my neighbors decided to um cut down some trees and have them shaved in the front of the house so we are 
Changing this locations. Is, this is very strange. This is the realities of Zoom. <laughs> this is the realities of Zoom. But yes, this week's guest is... Drumroll. Baritone Luca Pizzaroni. And he is just incredible and so funny. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah. Welcome, Luca Pizzaroni, to AA Opera. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you like to start off by just introducing yourself to our listeners? Okay. Hi, I'm Luca Pizzaroni. I am 45 years old, <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm a bass baritone, and I am uh, on standby because of the pandemic. <laughs> That's pretty much my, the status. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone's like pending, is, pending, yeah. um, pending. Yes. But can you actually take us way back? And we would like to find out. We would like to hear from you what your first experience of opera actually was. Oh, oh wow! Uh, my first experience. Um, I was nine years old, and um, I remember it was summer, and my grandfather used to listen to opera, and I remember I was doing some. I was either playing or do something in the garden and all of a sudden I heard uh, Boris Christov with uh, was, uh, was a, a Bulgarian if I'm not mistaken bass um, singing uh, from Don Carlo Ella uh, Mama and I remember asking my father what is that and he told me you know this is opera and I from that moment on I started listening to opera all the time I, there was there was something about being in, being able to produce that dark sound with the voice that always fascinated me, and uh, I, that was it. From that moment on, I started listening to um, mainly Verdi because my grandfather was had a collection of Verdi arias and operas, and then from them, you know, so I was listening to Corelli, uh, Bergonzi, uh, Bastianini, and then from there, then I started buying my first uh, CD of uh, Pavarotti, and the rest is history. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, instant connection. Fantastic. I have to say, this is very exciting. My first opera ever was also Don Carlo. It's I I. I, it's my favorite opera because I always say, I always say, first of all, you need five phenomenal singers, yeah. right? Because it's so, yeah. it's so, it is so difficult. But it, it's, it's if you like arias, that's a great piece to start with because everybody has phenomenal arias. You know, starting from Don Carlos and then Rodrigo and uh, and Eboli, uh, everybody has phenomenal. <laughs> you know, so so. Uh, it was really for me it was being able to create such powerful sound and uh, i was really uh, from that moment on it was like a, lo- a love of foresight first sight and uh, i remember uh, my first opera was aida live and i was 11 mm. years old and um, so 1986 i still remember august and i went to arena di verona and my father took me and uh, and I knew instantly that that was uh, the the music I, I I loved and I wanted to listen to. That's that's fantastic. Um, and where was it that you kind of discovered your sound? Where did you train? And um, we'd like to know what the most valuable thing um, was that you learnt 
along your musical education? Okay, okay. First of all, I never had... So I always wanted to become a singer. And so I went to Bergonzi because, as you know, uh, he lived in Buseto. So I went to Bergonzi and I said, you know, I want to become a singer. I sang something for him and he said to me, ah, you're changing your voice. You need to wait until your voice... Uh, matures because as you know between 13 and 17 men go from <laughs> to hello and and so and so I was exactly that but the funny thing is I never had a boy a boy voice I always I was I was a tenor when I was 13 so I would put the, the music of Pavarotti or Corelli or Bergonzi and I would sing on top of them so um I always try to replicate until I hit 14, 15, where I could just not reach the notes anymore. And so, and, and so I didn't sing for, uh, for a couple of years. And then I started again, and I, and I saw that I could not reach those, those notes anymore. And I was, it was, it was uh, devastating. To be honest with you, I was I always wanted to be a, a, a tenor. I always wanted to sing Lucia di Stelle, Ballo in Maschera, Hernani. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, but I couldn't. And so I decided then to go to the, the chorus choir of the church because I thought it would be a nice way to still train my train the voice without um, ruining ruining. And then eventually, when I got, I was 18, I decided that I could study professionally, and I founded a teacher in Milano. And uh, uh, while I was at the university, and I and I started singing, and uh, and uh, you know the quest for technique and uh, knowledge is never as an ended, and, you know, is always is yes. always a always work on in that progress. journey. Yes. yes, it's always a journey. <laughs> Correct. But yes. I. I I don't, I don't want to say that it was something that I had in me, but a lot of uh, a way of singing and uh, producing the sound is something that I never had to really think about. And so, so probably because I was listening a lot, uh, Bergonzi teaching when he was giving master classes. And so I think I, I, I received a lot of knowledge just you know, just listening at such a young age, him saying, you know, the words, the phrasing, and this is pushed and this kind of stuff. So when I, when I start singing, uh, I, for example, I never had to work on diction. This is something that I always had, you know, so I always say when I sing in a different language, you always hear it when I make a mistake because you understand the words I'm saying. Because Bergonzi always say, said, you know, it's very important that you express the words very clearly so this is um, what i amazing did you do then formal education after that or did you just jump right into the career uh, yeah yeah i started the conservatorio in in uh, in milano and um and i studied for um um i studied for uh, for um five years almost or probably six actually and but the problem at milano for me was that i wasn't happy with the teacher i had because first of all i i I didn't like the way i sang i sounded and i sang because um it was very how can i say this it was very uh complicated and i really thought the singing should be easy i mean it's it's a lot of work but but you shouldn't see the work behind it, you know. It's a little bit like a 
uh, if you look at Federer, I'm sure he trains like crazy. But you know, with that backhand, when he he, he has it, it seems the most natural, easy thing to do. Then when I go and I try to do it, you're like, oh my, you know, it is so much work. But it, I believe that you have to train so hard that at a certain point you forget the technique and it just becomes second nature, right? And I didn't, I, I was not at that point. It was uh, very complicated. Uh, you know, I was really much focusing. I do this and I do that. And this is not what I wanted. And also I disagree with her about the repertoire because at the, you know, in between, in the conservatory in Italy at the, my time, um, at the third year of studies, you have an exam. And she wanted me to sing Vieni uh, le uh, Vita from Nabucco. And I said to, and I, I went, my brain went, because I said, you know, if I sing Nabucco uh, at 22, 23, what am I going to sing for the, for the last year, right? For the final year. And what am I going to sing, Votan? And I thought it would be crazy to sing this repertoire so young, right? And so mm -hmm. I remember I, I, I was, I was, uh, I took the, the pianist and I said to him, look, I, I disagree, we need to find something else. And I prepared, without my teacher knowing, two arias. One from, was from Semele, Somnus, Somnus, and the other yes. one was from um, uh, Semiramide, De ti ferma, ti placa, the big scene, just the aria, right? The andante. And, and I studied and I prepared it. And then I went to her and said, this is what I worked on and I would like you to listen. And this is what I would like to take at the exam. And I remember her job was like <laughs> dropped on the floor because she didn't expect it. And I felt very comfortable because I thought at my age was exactly the repertoire that I uh, I, I was I, I was supposed to sing, you know, and um, and this fact that I was unhappy uh, forced me to uh, look for another teacher, and I I looked until I found a Argentinian tenor, his name was Renato Sassola, and I started working with him before I start work uh, working professionally because I really felt like I need to have a solid base before I start doing some important, you know, things. Because I, I think there is always a level of learning that you do in the theater, but it's very important that at least the basis of your technique is very solid. Yeah. Amen to that. But what was the bridge like from, from your studies to your actual debut for the professional stage? I tell you, other times, other, other business, if I tell you, you would, you know, uh, young people would cry. And, and it's an, it was really, it's amazing how the business has changed in the past 20 years. So, you know, my debut was exactly a year ago. You know, I debuted, I did, uh, sorry, uh, 20 years ago. I debuted in March <laughs> 2001. And... Um, <laughs> And it was a completely crazy story because I, uh, you know, I was starting doing some few concerts and then I decided to sing uh, in Romania because I knew somebody who invited me to sing the first act of uh, Don Giovanni. And funny enough, one of the, um, the people in the, in the competition uh, became 
casting director in Salzburg. And so the first thing he asked me was if I wanted to have an audition with Arnokor. And I said, of course. And so I went to Zurich and I had an audition. And I remember I sang um, Madamina, I sang Mazetto Aria, and then I sang, uh, what was it? Uh, probably Semele or something like this. And he asked me to sing Mazetto in Salzburg in summer of 2002. And, um, and I, said, I said, of course. Uh, and he said, would you, would you like to do it? And I was like, what do you mean, would you like to do it? Of course I want to do it. <laughs> and it was, and from that moment on, practically, then I did another uh, couple of other auditions and then I started getting jobs. And from that moment on, it's, you know, people start listening and then they, they offer Figaro and then they offered Leporello, Guglielmo. And, uh, and that, was, uh, uh, that was, went pretty easy for me. It's, it was really... Um, that audition with Arnold Kuhl really changed my life. Yeah. And obviously, That's and obviously, you know, one thing after the other. Yeah, and obviously, you know, a lot of people say, ah, oh, Mazzetto is not, and he is not a major role. And I always uh, say that in Mozart, there is no such a thing as a small role, especially in the De Ponte, because I, I, I'm, you know, you can make an impression definitely make an impression and you can make an impression because he has an aria he has the finale recitativi and you can really show your musicality how you act uh you know your your how you treat recitativi and i remember it it really made an impression with him and uh, and i work with him a lot because he has he had this idea of doing recitativi in a almost a spoken way bottom pitch and this opened a new world for me even though it was Austrian and I and I'm Italian I, I went oh my god I didn't know that this was possible and and then you know it escalated and for me the for me another step in my career without question was a Glyndebourne in 2006 with the Così Fonto you know that was really one of the best um experience in my life because it was um i enjoyed not only musically because of even fisher who is a phenomenal conductor brilliant but also the production it was really the a perfect you know when all the the stars aligned well that you know i enjoyed every second of it and uh, i love the production i love the, the colleagues i love the the making the music i was fantastic so Oh, well, that makes us really happy being a UK. Yeah, but it's a completely different. It's completely <laughs> different from from people nowadays. So it's really was a okay. it's a it's a it's a different world. It's a different world. Well, you perform all over the world mm. in normal times when COVID isn't around. <laughs> yes, um, in normal. So, <laughs> so um, we, <laughs> we'd like to ask a few questions around how you manage your international career, and the first one is. Um, how do you go about preparing for a role? Well, that's a very, that's a very interesting question. It, um, I am, um, I believe in, in. Uh, I, I'm not sure this is a, a, a word in English, but in slowness, in being slow. I really believe in being slow about learning roles. I am never been a fast learner, and I always. Um, you know, I always love to take my time because I realize that 
very very soon in my career that it's not just a question of learning notes and words you need you need to give yourself the time to um in italiano we say metterla in gola which means allow your throat to feel comfortable with it and it's true that every time i did a role and I studied and then I didn't touch it for like a couple of months and then went back to it, I could feel that it got to another level. And so, and so, you know, uh, I am always, um, I love people that they are so talented that they just like a month before the first day of rehearsal, they, they learn it, memorize it, and they come and bum bum. I, I was like, I'm like, I'm jealous, actually. I'm not, I, let me be honest here. I, I'm not, I don't admire them. I'm totally jealous because I never, <laughs> I was never able to do that. I, I, you know, um, I just have to give myself the time to to mature it, and um, and I realized that um, um, at the end of the day, what you know, the most important things is the end result, and not the process. And uh, you know, a lot. Sometimes I remember I had colleagues that the first day of rehearsal I went, I would come back home totally depressed and going, these people are so on top of it. They are going to kill me in the sense that, you know, their performance is going to be 100% and mine is going to be 25. But when you, especially when you have a longer rehearsal period, I realized that uh, what I saw the first day is what they were giving you also at the dress yourself. And what you saw about me at the first day was 25. And I got to the rehearsal getting, you know, I'd be generous, 75, because, you know, I never get to 100. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You just you have to understand that different people have different process and you just have to embrace who you are and how you deal with things and uh, trust the process of getting there by the time you open and people are going to be sitting in the audience and watching. That's such a good answer. I oh god i'm glad that you Just like it <laughs> no because you know because it can be i I'm, I'm i'm telling you it can be incredibly intimidating when you go to the first rehearsal and there is somebody that's like off book perfect i mean perfect and you're like i will never get there but actually it's it's you know uh, you can you just have to you know, to know yourself. And I remember, if I may interrupt, it, it's like my pianist, I always was like, always frustrated and say to him, oh my God, it's taking so much time for me to memorize this and to learn this. And it's, I'm such an idiot. Oh my God, I'm so untalented. And, uh, and my pianist is somebody who can play anything first, I mean, anything upside down. I mean, you can put him <laughs> a, 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 a pert miserere and he would be playing everything. But the thing about him, he told me, you show me the same piece tomorrow, I have no recollection I've ever played it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so okay. and in my case, in my case, when I learn a, law, a role, I can not look at it for 10 years and then go back and I remember 95%. So, you know, he's jealous of me remembering and I'm jealous of him being so <laughs> fast. So, you know, it's, it's, you just have to, you know, say, okay, this is my strength is that one I've learned it, I never forget it. Therefore I embrace it. 
and um, you know do the best you can with what you have, were given um but as a bass baritone you've played a lot of good guys on stage like figaro for example but also yes. some of opera's most notorious villains like don G. villains villains <laughs> oh without question oh oh my god forget the good guys boring <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, if that's the question, if that's the yeah, question. Yeah, the question was, which do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> you see, I know it. Forget the good guys. They are so... Okay. No, it's not true. L listen, it's... My... Uh, I think there is nothing more exciting for me to make a villain sympathetic and at the end of the evening... I have an audience that goes, God, it was awful, but I liked it. And this is the, in terms of, uh, in terms of acting skills, is the most amazing process because it really is much more challenging, you know? And also for me, it's very important that you play the bad guy without overdoing it. I, I you know, the best compliment I got was, I did, was at La Scala. I sang Pizarro in Fidelio. And, uh, and people said, you know what was terrifying? How normal your evilness looked. And this for me was the best, the best compliment because I really tried to be as dry and as, and as unassuming as possible because I believe that evil nowadays has a really diff different face that it used to have 25 years ago, right? You know, you will watch a movie where the villain, you know, walks in and goes, ah, and now, you know, and now <laughs> it's just somebody that looks totally normal, almost likable, and then is capable of the most horrendous things. So it's, it's much more fascinating and it's much more stimulating for me to try to achieve that than play a guy like Figaro. Said that, <laughs> even if I said that, let me tell you, I sang Count for a very long time. And then I went back to Figaro. And when you get to the last scene and you sing, you know, tutto tranquillo e placido, and the duet with Susanna, I said to myself, God is a nice guy, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so it's, I think it's good to, you know, a little bit of both is good. Yeah, best of both worlds. <laughs> What's the villain that you can't wait to sing again? Mephisto. I think Mephisto in, in Damnation. Mephisto in, in, in uh, Faust, Gounod. I think, I think the four villains in the Hoffman. Uh, I, and I have to say, it's not a villain, but it's, um, it's a deeply wounded man, is Golo in Peleasso Melisand. Is Those for me are amazing, amazing uh, roles. And, um, and I can't wait, I really cannot, cannot wait. Because I like I like I like this um, emotional journey throughout the piece. It's really, it's really, you know, when he, when everything works and you like the production and vocally works, and you you know you feel like you have done your work as a as a performer. One hundred percent. 
Well, you have a very diverse career on the operatic stages to concerts, festivals and recordings. In fact, um, recently the uh, Warner Classic recording of Agrippina has recently been nominated by BBC's Music Magazine um, for the Opera Award in 2021. Congratulations on that. Thanks. Um, what uh, is the difference between um, preparing to perform a role on the stage uh, versus recording in the studio? Oh, wow. Um, I can only talk about my experience and I hate recordings on the in the studio. <laughs> hate. Because I could take six months to record something, you know, because I always then would listen to myself and go, oh my God, I is out of tune. Oh, the voice is ugly. Oh my God, that note is, you know, it, it never ends. So um, the great thing about Agrippina, I have to say, if we talk about Agrippina, was that we did actually a tour before doing the recording. So, um, you know, first of all, Amazing cast with Joyce Dignato, uh, Jakub, uh, um, you know, we had such a, you know, Il Pomodoro. I mean, it was, it was, we had a great, a, a, a great uh, a run of concerts. And doing it first in concert, it really makes the recording so much easier because you arrive already knowing what you want and the kind of uh, musical intention that you want you know, you want to make sure that they stay in the recording. So it, this made our our recording so much easier. And I remember, uh, I remember I was supposed to record two arias in, I don't know, three hours. And, and, uh, and I remember I arrived and I don't think, I think we, we needed 45 minutes because uh, we did everything in 45 minutes because you know, it was, it came the recording like two weeks after the last concert. So we arrived there that we were like, okay, you know, those accents and uh, in the recording, especially, you need to exaggerate. So the forte has to be forte in the piano, much more piano, because, because otherwise, despite the fact that you think you're making, you know, you're Chopin and you're making the most amazing colors, <laughs> then you listen to it and you're like, I can't hear it. And, and I'm sure in a concert hall, it works, but for a recording, when you have the microphone right there, you really have to exaggerate. And so, and I remember we were so focused and we knew all the accent and uh, uh, where we wanted to go, that it was really pretty, it, came, it went really fast. And, uh, and the most challenging thing I have to tell you about the recording were the recitative, actually. Because not being able to do it while acting, it really forced us to, you know, to, to, to work very hard to just give an impression that there was some action, right? And it was not just in tempo well sung, but you have to give it a dramatic spin. So it was very interesting because I remember some of this rigid TV with Agrippina, so with Joyce and, and uh, Fajo, um, Franco Fagioli, me, and we were all like, uh, in front of the microphone and you are not allowed to move very much. So I remember everybody was like moving their hands around <laughs> to try to find some kind of energy, you know, to, to be able to, um, to express this, you know, through just the voice and not the body. So it was, uh, that was really more, more, more 
challenging than actually singing the arias. Wow, that's that's fascinating. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, it's also just so interesting the differences that we don't think about, but also so important now that all all of us are doing self tapes to send to people in our living rooms <laughs> to really think about where you place them, like the placement of the microphone and the color of your sound. Yeah, it's a, it's complete it's, changes. I agree. It is so difficult. I had to. I did this uh, project with the Cameron, right? This, um, um, uh, t- you know, this this opera that we all had to record, you know, um, and it was. I mean, the first uh, the first recording. It took me like two hours because I didn't like the light and the microphone, the expression and the voice. It is not fun. Let's go back to the theater, guys, today. <laughs> yes, please. Today. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you actually, as someone who is an, has an international career, what are the positive and negatives when it comes to traveling for work, for your work? You don't have enough time for me to answer this <laughs> look look uh, there are um, there are uh, i don't know i've i've been lucky so for me uh, the positive outweighs the negative is it the thing i miss the most is the the human contact i have to say the fact that i i'm not going to a rehearsal and i don't I don't see colleagues and I don't, you know, chat and try to become a team to try to tell a story. I miss it. And, uh, and for me, the thing that I, it really crushed me, especially now is a year since, you know, this pandemic, but really crushed me is that the creative process. I miss, uh, I, I miss being a rehearsal because I miss creating i miss experimenting and trying to to come up with something new right i always see my job as not repeating myself over and over again but try to always bring something new to it so even if a role like figaro uh, which i sang more than 150 times i always open and go oh how can i do this and i always done you know funny maybe this time i can do it a little bit angrier or maybe you know funny but upset and and this is this search for the truth of the composer is what's what i find endlessly fascinating and this i miss terribly (laughs) anyway i could you know this is really this is really hard it's really hard when I used to do this. It's because the the creative process and this uh, and this work it's um, it's addicting. And when you don't do it and you don't have it, you'll really miss it. I'm very I'm very excited about this next question um, because uh, we saw that you don't travel alone. Um, <laughs> please tell us more about. The opera dogs, Lenny and Tristan. <laughs> oh, Lenny and Tristan. So, um, you know, um, that's why I tell you, I, I, I told you that the negative, the positive outweighs the negative because I always, I don't mm. feel the traveling and being away from home as uh, something negative. So I always, I have the luck that my wife can work from anywhere. And uh, we made an effort to always have the dogs with us. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been very lucky. And Lenny and Tristan are, are uh, you know, are, I don't know what to say, but they're a gift 
from from the universe to, for me is it's the best thing uh, you know it's the best thing i don't know how i i i, I could survive without them it's it there is something about their energy the fact that they love you uh in condition unconditionally there are just they like to be with you and that's the only thing that matters and and this kind of uh, energy calming uh it gives me so much energy gives me so much uh, you know makes me feel grounded and uh, um i call lenny my sun sunshine puppy because uh, it's always in a in a great mood and i should and god knows if i should learn to be in a better mood uh, from him but i'm much more like tristan is is a miniature dachshund and is much more as, as, as much more, uh, let's say, uh, judgmental. So uh, I, you know, having a dog in your life is it's it's a huge gift, and um, and I, you know, I really could not do this without them. It's the most amazing, uh, amazing hotel, and they walk in the room and go, oh great. Or you can go in the worst Airbnb you can possibly book, and they look at you and say, "Oh, great, cool." It doesn't matter as long as they they are with you, they don't care. And this is, I find, that, you know, they just uh, are, you know, they just look at you with such love, and uh, it's it's really it's really amazing, and they are extremely entertaining. And the thing. I love about them is that they taught me that there is so much communication possible without words, and um, and I can I can tell you because they I can just with their body and their attitude that they communicate to each other, and this is really beautiful to see how there is so much conversation that is non-verbal going on. That's so beautiful. I've never I I love dogs myself, but I've never thought of that about the communication that's great this might be a very hard question to answer but what do you love most about being an opera singer and do you have a most memorable moment of your career so far Oof. i love the most is is being you know being on stage and being it's it's a i get an incredible amount of energy from the from the from performing and uh, and there is something about communicating to the audience and trying to take them on a journey about your character that is the most rewarding thing when it works so this is the thing that i like the most about being an opera singer and uh, either make them cry or make them laugh and and uh, it's it's a, it's a very powerful tool i find and it's very it's very rewarding when it works and most memorable moment very hard for me to talk about the memorable moment because i had so many in my career that it's really it's really it's really impossible to choose you know i have you know from singing Mazzetto in Salzburg uh, for the first time in the Vienna Philharmonic, 
uh, auditioning at the Met with Jimmy Levine, um, singing, you know, singing at the Musikverein in Vienna, uh, you know, Bach cantatas as an Italian, singing my first Misa Solemnis uh, with Michael Tilson Thomas, singing um, in Hamburg. I, I mean, it's impossible. It's really impossible. The list it's, goes I on. have so many. <laughs> uh, I've, I have so many, and uh, you know, I'm Italian Catholic and superstitious, which is the worst combination. Which means I don't want to choose because <laughs> I always feel afraid that something horrendous is going to happen. So let's say that the most member of one, I still have to create. So let's see. Let's like do. That. Let's go in that direction. <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is a um, great answer. And we would love to take this opportunity um, to hear from someone like yourself to share some advice for young artists starting out in their performing careers. Do something else. <laughs> Find another job. <laughs> oh God! Uh, so, um, I mean, it it is not. Uh, it's impossible to condense in an answer, you know, what yeah. it takes to be a, a performer. Um, I don't want to, I, I mean, I don't want to sound negative because I don't, uh, it, this is not my um, intention. I, I just want to give a message of, um, it's a hard profession. It, you need to love it because it's a lot of work nothing comes from nothing so you really have to put uh, all of yourself and i tell you sometimes you put all of yourself and you still don't get uh, the job and people still don't get what you have to say so it's it is um it is challenging at times and it makes you wonder why you're doing this and if you want to keep doing this the only thing i can tell you um you need to embrace criticism and you have to see criticism not as a as a something to that brings you down but something that helps you generate energy to take you further because spoiler alert everybody has an opinion about how you should do it and, it, and I mean, everybody, your voice teacher, the pianist, the coach at the opera, the director, the conductor, the artistic director, the general manager, everybody has an opinion. And especially as an Italian, Italian colleagues always tell you how to do it and how to sing. So it's even worse, but, but I'm serious. It's, um, if you... Uh, overwhelmed by this is really the wrong attitude. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm really urge you, young performer, to actually take all this information and try to be able to pick the thing that work for you and then make you grow. Discard the one that take you down or don't are for you unhelpful and try to become a better artist because it's... Um, it's a work in progress. And uh, for me, um, and I tell you because I am 45 and I, am, and I have been doing this for a little bit, we are so worried about the destination that we forget about the journey. 
And this career is a journey. There is no destination. And I tell you why, because I put the same energy in performing at the Met with 4,000 people than I make it to sing a concert in a small town close to, close to um, Salzburg for a little festival when there are 35 people. It's just, it's a question of attitude that every performance, it's, it's the performance for you. And uh, I always say this to, uh, you know, my wife always says, ah, when, you know, when you sing, even for like uh, a birthday, when they ask you to sing, you know, night and day, you warm up. And I'm like, I'm sorry, when there are more, when I'm not alone, it's a performance. <laughs> I am sorry. If I'm alone, if I'm alone, it doesn't matter. But if there is one person listening, hello, performance. So I, I treat it as seriously as any anything in my life and i promise you in my career i never ever ever did anything going ah who cares today how i sound never it is it is really it is really like i always said my life depends on it and so uh you know it it is not an easy work it's, it's really challenging but i guess there is nothing easy Thank you so much for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are hoping to be um, done with COVID at some point in the near future or in the future. Are, do you have any plans for post-COVID that you can can and would like to share no. with our listeners? Absolutely none. Because as I told you, Italian Catholic, totally superstitious. <laughs> I know that if I am going to do it, there is going to be a new strain coming from South America, <laughs> so powerful that it's going it's gonna, it's gonna to force another entire lockdown for the next six, seven months. Forget it. Not going to tell you anything. I'm okay. going to say, check my website. Hopefully there's going to be, you know, new information soon. Uh, no, I tell you, I've been so disappointed by all this cancellation, also of things that I thought are going to happen, that at this point I am relinquish my, you know, control. And, uh, and you know, I don't know if you know, but I, I was singing Don Giovanni in Barcelona in October, November, mm -hmm. and we couldn't finish the run because they went into lockdown. And so we only sang four performances instead of eight, and that was devastating because in... It made me think of March 2020 when I was at the Met singing Così Fantute and they stopped. And so I'm so I was so emotionally destroyed Damn. that I <laughs> yeah. now I just, uh, you know, if it happens, it happens. But I don't want to talk about anything at all. Fair Please enough. Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Well, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you you mentioned your website. Um, would you like yeah. to share with us um, where people can find you, your social media, and of course uh, Lenny and Tristan as well, if you want yeah, to follow so, their journey. So, <laughs> so I have a Facebook page and I have an Instagram account, and uh, I think it. You know, if anybody wants to see what I do during the day, they you know they can check it out. But most importantly, forget about me. I have a page for Lenny and Tristan, which is, uh, I think Lenny Tristan, if I'm, mis I'm not mistaken, is even Opera at Opera Dogs. So go on Facebook, become 
become you know friends of them because um you know they are so entertaining and i want you to uh, follow their life because they always put a smile on my face so i'm absolutely sure they would put a smile on your face as well <laughs> Fantastic. We My career is irrelevant compared to <laughs> the fame that Lenin Tristan have to achieve. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely a dog dad, you know, like dance moms, but you're a dog dad. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I don't do makeup, but I do brushing to make sure that they look at their best. <laughs> All the time, yeah. <laughs> but I'm definitely a pushy, a pushy doggy dad. <laughs> That's it then. Check out. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to our listeners. We really, really appreciate this. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, you know, I just want to say that I really hope that we we will be able to perform live again very soon because. Um, you know, all the streaming stuff is great, but it's not a substitute of what um, operates or singing is. It's something that needs to be experienced live. And, uh, and uh, I can tell you this because the first time I heard Pavarotti live, and I was a huge fan, so I listened to his voice on a CD for like years before I was able to see him performing. I told you, I tell you, it was mind blowing because the voice in the recording was always amazing. But to be able to see this, to hear the sound and to hear this voice that embraced you was another experience. So I, I really uh, hope that we go back to do this live because it's without it, opera is not the same thing. Amen yes to that, that. yeah. 100%. Thank you, Luca. This week's question is, what opera character would you name your dog? <laughs> and mm. now that we've had the episode, this question now makes sense with the whole opera sense. dogs scenario. Um, but your responses have been great and I can't wait to share them all um, on Instagram next week. Um, but Avi, what, what are you thinking? Um, so, hmm, I did have a tough one. Tough, tough time with this one. I always thought, like, Tosca was a great name for a dog, but at the same time, um, mm. if you would nickname that, it doesn't come out very good. <laughs> Tosca. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think any of the Italian ones, like, I think if you named it Rodrigo or something like that, yeah. or Alfredo. Yeah. Ooh, imagine naming your dog Alfredo. Alfie. Yeah. Uh, no, you see, but then that goes into real people's names. I always have a problem with that. That I do, yeah. I have a, it's a, the best answer that I've seen so far, and I'm gonna steal it. Is that um, I really like the name Dorabella for a dog. Ooh, that is that is really good. <laughs> and it's just because you know my family dog is a little Shih Tzu called Daisy, and I think actually if I could rename her, I'd name her Dorabella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, definitely. Mozart names are good. Figaro, that's a great one for a dog. Figaro, yeah. Um, I have a. I know someone who named their dog Pamina. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Tristan is really good too. I actually really like Tristan. Tristan, for, yeah. Tristan's like for a big, like yeah. I don't know, 
lab anything bigger than a lab or, yeah yeah border collie or something like that um but yeah to give it to give the cats a shout out i've just got this idea i don't even i don't see myself with a cat and this is an opera related but if i had a cat i'd call it mr mistopheles 100 <laughs> percent if i if i decided to be a cat lady and just buy loads of cats i'd i'd just name them all from the characters from the musical cats cats. not that, that i don't mean really oh. like the musical i just find it very funny <laughs> see you were saying the cats musical i was thinking the tales of hoffman because my few stuff uh not the tales of hoffman well i was thinking faust faust yeah i guess yeah uh, but I was. I mean, it's the same. Based thing. on the same devil. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a really good one. But you need you, you need Mister in front. You need Mister Mustafelis. Mister Mustafelis. Oh, that's also a good name for a dog, though. Do you think? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Would you call your dog Faust? No, no, I wouldn't. No. It's um, a great conversation. I just I, no. Who knew? Who knew this would be our Wednesday morning? Our Wednesday morning. What about um one of the, like a Britain character? Would you call your dog anything from like Midsummer Night's Dream, which is more Shakespearean, but like any one of those characters? Oberon. Oh. Oberon. Oh, that's a really good Ooh. name for a dog. <laughs> oh. And then, as a nickname, Obi. Oh, yes. Avi, we just need to get myself to Battersea Cats and Cat and Dog Shelter. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we need? We need a podcast dog and call him Oberon. Obi. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Brilliant. season four and for episode 61 thank you so much luca for closing the season with us it was incredible to get to know you and please remember to subscribe and rate this podcast and whilst there's a wee break get yourself back and listen to all of season four it will always be there in addition just because we're not making podcasts the next month we're not releasing them we are making them and you can definitely check us out on patreon and support our work we are www.patreon.com forward slash aa opera and we have a lot of exciting things going to happen throughout april there as well so definitely don't think just because we're not on your um podcast pop-ups we're not we're not gone we're not gone no definitely not we are definitely there and last Big, big thanks to Prime Phonic. This is your last chance to sign up to two months free of Prime Phonic goodness. Use the link in our Instagram bio and enter the code AAOPERA. Yes. And with that, actually, I will see you um, in a couple of weeks. Or not. Yes. I might see before, but who knows? They don't need to know that. <laughs> see you guys. Bye. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>